This is Our House by Art, Humanity, and Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. And then I said, okay, I got to get to work. I couldn't sit back anymore. This was me really standing up and saying enough. We decided that we really needed to have an organized response. I knew I had to be involved. I wanted to help. Our stories are actually the biggest things that we had to make a difference. I am an artist, an activist, and the most important thing is that I'm a mom to Mateo on November 8th, 2016. First thing that I did is I went into my son's bedroom and I kissed him on the forehead and I said, I'm sorry. I was devastated for what that meant generationally for him and his peers. My son was now going to grow up with a misogynistic, racist, classist, bad person that he was going to be exposed to him every day. The next day, I... I could barely get out of bed. And in the not knowing what to do, what I did was I went through my entire phone book in my phone and I called every artist that I had in my phone book. It didn't matter if you were my friend or if I barely knew you. I was bold. And I called everyone that I could. And I talked all day from like 12 until 8 o'clock at night. And then the next day I did the same thing and talked from 9 in the morning until basically like 8 at night and had conversations with artists about what was our role? What did it mean now to be an artist in Trump's America? What did art actually have to do since we were going to be deporting people to their, to their deaths, destroying our world? Like, did art actually matter? You're listening to Paola Mendoza. Paola was born in Colombia and came to the United States at three years old with her mother and brother. She was raised in California and today lives in New York with her partner and fellow activist, Michael Skolnick, and their little boy, Mateo Ali. All of that calling and worrying about the role of art after the 2016 election led Paola to getting in touch with her friend, Carmen Perez, one of the co-founders of the Women's March. Carmen was a friend of mine, so I called her up and I was like, Carmen, I'm not an activist, I'm an artist, but like... I want to get down, and I know I know that my skills as an artist will be useful and come in handy. And she was like, yeah, come. Paola joined as artistic director, where she focused on the role of storytelling to both help people understand the intersectional message of the march and to move people's hearts to a place of action. And it's that spirit that has influenced all of Paola's work, from her year working with the Women's March to the time she spent in Tijuana this past November documenting stories from the caravan. So I ended up leaving the Women's March in January 2018, um, and I left the Women's March because I thought that my work as an artist and as an activist could be more effective outside of the organization. A few months after that, family separation happened. Family separation was and is one of the most horrific things that the United States has done in my lifetime. At the forefront of fighting against family separation with an organization called Families Belong Together. And I was organizing with Families Belong Together, but again, around using art and language and storytelling to 
open people's hearts around family separation so they would be enraged enough to hit to the streets, go call their senators, and stop the policy. And I think it's really important to understand that family separation, we were able to stop that policy in basically six weeks because of the outrage that people were able to display and use their outrage to organize against this. 3,000 plus kids were separated and there potentially is thousands more, but nonetheless, we were able to stop it fairly quickly. A migrant caravan heading from Central America to the U.S. border right now. Hundreds of Honduran immigrants just crossed into Guatemala several Thousands hours ago. Thousands of Central American migrants are vowing to continue their march to the U.S. border, even though President Trump wants to turn them away. Thousand migrants from a Central American caravan have reached Mexico's border. Thousands more are headed their way. The concept of caravans had been coming to the United States for decades, right? It's not anything new. What was new in this caravan was the fact that there was so many people. It had never been that big, and obviously the President of the United States used it for his political benefit. And so I called up uh, my friends and families belonging together, and I was like, I want to go down, and I want to tell stories from the caravan. And I went down there with a very clear intent. I wanted to tell the stories of mothers and children and fathers because I knew those were the stories that weren't being told. I got down on November 1st, five days, six days before the election, and we arrived at Oaxaca. We met the caravan in Oaxaca. And what I saw in the caravan was literally thousands of people, thousands of children, thousands of parents, in such desperate conditions walking towards what at that point was almost an impossible goal. Not a lot of food, hot, blistered feet, kids walking literally for hours and hours on end with with no organization besides just going north some way and this is was the most heartbreaking part about 20 to 30 miles a day like, nothing i would take my car that my van that i was in with my fixer and i could go from one point to the next point in a car in 30 minutes it was all of this suffering for such little physical progress. And yet, there was also obviously moments of hope. I saw poor people in Mexico giving the little that they had to even poorer people of Central America. I saw men and young boys carrying little children because the mom could no longer carry them or the kid could no longer walk. You saw strangers coming together to help in the most impossible circumstances. We saw the um, resiliency of people that want a better life for their children, not just for economic reasons, but for safety. Everyone that I spoke to was a person of faith. And so they, they believed and they would always say, well, God will open his heart and God will take care of it and God will take care of us. And they believed that. And so they had heard a little bit about child separation and they were, some of them were worried about it. Some of them didn't believe it. They were like, it's impossible. They could never do that. So there's a lot of rumors and a lot of misinformation. I do think that when they ended up getting to Tijuana, they were very disillusioned. The United States government is not letting anyone in. They're able to ask for asylum at the border and then they have to wait in Mexico while their asylum cases proceed. And that could be years. So we're talking about years of waiting in essentially what's a camp. Um, hundreds of little tents on dirt floor, water every other day. 
One of the first people I met on the caravan was this woman named Rosa. I literally had gotten up out of the car and I was walking around looking, talking to people. And I had been there for maybe an hour. And I see this woman sitting on the side of the road underneath a little bit of shade, this little patch of dirt. And she's breastfeeding a baby. Two little girls with her. One was like 10 and the other one was about five. And the five-year-old, she was very rambunctious and fiery and like would like, answer me with attitude and like was teasing me and she she was amazing and great and I um had a little stuffed toy a stuffed animal a stuffy as my son likes to say and I asked her if she wanted the stuffy and she was like yes 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 and so her mom became more open to me when um I was able to win over the little girl and I soon found out that she was there by herself and that she had four kids she had a four-month-old a one-and-a-half-year-old a five-year-old and a ten-year-old I asked her how she had done it, just logistically, how did you travel with all of these kids? And she said that she had a, a stroller, a big stroller, where she put basically the five-year-old, the year and a half, and the four-month-old in the stroller. But the stroller had lasted about 10 days, and then it broke. And so what ended up happening is that the 10-year-old had to carry the one-and-a-half-year-old, mom carried the four-month-old, and then the five-year-old walked. And so that's how they had managed the rest of the three weeks of their journey. And I was astounded by the mom's bravery and strength and just fortitude to be able to do that. But so inspired by this little five-year-old girl who had basically walked this entire way on her own because there was no other way for her to do it but walk. And the 10-year-old that had carried the two-year-old on her hip the entire way. And I thought to myself, well, these are the characteristics that the American people and the American government like to say that they want in their citizens and the people that come to this country. You want fortitude and strength and, and like superhuman powers and, and, and grit. And these women and this little boy, these little girls, had it all. You can find Rosa's story and many other stories from the caravan on Paola's Instagram, at Paola Mendoza, which we'll link to in the show notes. In just a moment, we'll talk more with Paola about specific ways you can get involved in helping immigrants and refugees. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your stories with us. So I know you do a lot of work with different groups. You mentioned Families Belong Together and some other ones. For somebody who may be listening to this, what's something you can do right now to get involved in this fight or to help protect immigrants? Right. There's so many organizations that each individual can support, whether that's volunteering or whether that's financial contributions, right? So Families Belong Together is one of them. United We Dream is another one. If you need just practical information to help immigrants, there's an amazing website that's unbranded and supported by all in the immigration groups, and that's informedimmigrant.com. Um, if you want like specific things that you want to do on Texas or family separation, there's um, the Texas Civil Rights Project, there's RAICES. There is just so many ways in which to get involved to help immigrants. You have to do the research to figure out what it is that you want to do. And then also, and just as important, is reach out to your fellow immigrants that are around you. Pretty much anywhere in the country, there's immigrants everywhere. Go to those local organizations, to those local churches, to ask what it is your immigrant community in your, in your area needs. Um, because they're so specific. Um, and that might be like a clothes drive, or it might be a food drive, or it might be help with registering kids to get to school. Like there's just so many things that we need to not be afraid to speak to one another about it. 
you mentioned Mateo. Uh, you and Michael are obviously both very visible activists. It must be really hard to raise a little boy right now. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, how hard it was uh, the night of the 2016 election. How do you help him understand your work and what's going on right now? It's hard in the sense of making very complicated and in many ways difficult and negative subjects comprehensible for a six-year-old. But I do it. I, I talk to him about it. So he knows about family separation. Um, and that was a very hard conversation to have with him because his first response is, are they going to take me away from you? Right. He makes it personal for himself and letting him know that, no, that that's not going to happen. We took him to the March for Our Lives protests and he knows that there are school shootings. He goes to school and he's asked me, are they going to come and shoot my school? And those are hard conversations to have, but they are conversations that we must have because I'm not going to allow my son to live in a world of such privilege that he's not doesn't even have the ability to understand or have a conversation around these issues. Because what I'm asking my son to do is to have a conversation about family separation, about gun violence, about racism, because we talk about racism. And my son presents white. He's a white little boy with red hair. Like, he's a white boy. He most he will be one of the most privileged amongst us in this country. But he has to be able to have a conversation because if kids are living through these realities, then the very least that he can do is have a conversation about it. And the very least that I can do as a parent is find out a way in which to have those conversations around about those issues with him. Um, because if we don't, then we are just replicating the, the models of repression and silence um, that have existed in this country for centuries, and we will not be able to move forward. And I firmly believe that the first step to break systematic everything, racism, sexism, all of it, is to be able to talk about it with kids. Because he's not, you know, kids aren't born racist. Kids aren't born sexist. Kids aren't born xenophobic. They learn these things. And so we have to be able to talk about them to be able to deprogram them as much as possible. Paula Mendoza, I want to thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast thank and you. for being in the world. You are amazing. <laughs> thank you. You're amazing, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Paula Mendoza for being with us and for your commitment to using art as activism. You can keep up with Paula's ongoing work on Instagram and Twitter at Paula Mendoza. And I highly recommend you do as she is always sharing important and accessible ways to help the immigrant community. You can also find links to every organization and website that she mentioned in our show notes. This podcast comes from Art Humanity in Action and is produced and edited by Jeff Rose. Music is by Audioblocks. You can find more activist stories on the podcast and information about our live shows at arthumanityaction.com. And if you like this episode, we would love it if you shared it with a friend. In the meantime, thank you again for listening, and thank you for being in the world. <laughs>